Let me just tell you the story of uh, some more of your generosity. Some of you have given of your time, and many of you have given toys to help with our community Christmas shops. Uh, we partner with Action, our local outreach partner, and they partner with a number of churches, and there are five Christmas shops that will be in our area on different days at different churches, and these shops are designed to provide toys to families who wouldn't be able to afford toys for their kids, and we do it in such a way that they can actually get some points, and they come in and they purchase. Now, it's free to them, but they have some points that are allotted based on their family size and all that, and they come in and they choose the toys for their children, and so it gives them dignity. And um, they can have it gift-wrapped. There's a time when people will pray with them. They hear a message from one of our pastors. Um, it's, it's an outreach that's just a wonderful way for us to show the love of Christ in partnership with other churches and with action in our community. On uh, yesterday, we hosted one of those five Christmas shops. Ours happens to be the one that is aimed at families with a child of, of a special need or a special ability. And um, so yesterday we hosted that here at Calvary and we were able to distribute some of those toys here as well. But the toys we gather go to all five of these distribution points along with the toys that are gathered by others. And I just wanted to share with you that yesterday here on our campus and then what's happening in all these shops has just been a wonderful success. And I wanna thank you. Uh, we gathered 2,800 toys as the Calvary family over the last last several weeks. Last week, I let you know that we were a little behind, which we always are on Thanksgiving weekend. Whenever I mention that, you guys go out and bring in the toys. We had 2,800 toys, and last year we had 2,000. So this is a great thing, and we were able to help a lot of families. That's wonderful. As a matter of fact, really the total was 4,000 toys because we got a call out of the blue from the Ventura County Fire Department, and they had partnered with Channel 7 Television, and they had partnered with a spark of love and they had been gathering toys and they said, we heard about your toy drive so we set aside so many toys for you guys. So they brought us 1,200 toys to add to the 2,800. So there were 4,000 toys which really fueled that and even will probably give a good start into next year in the distribution that we'll do in the Christmas shops. On our site yesterday for the Christmas shop that we hosted, there were 138 families. That, that will be rippled out in many more, hundreds of families in all five of the Christmas shops, but that's more families than we've ever had to the shop that we host. 140 volunteers served yesterday from the Calvary family. I want to say thank you to all of you who've done that. This year, we had the most toys and the most families in need ever. What a great combination to have the most families in need and also then to have the most toys ever to meet that need. And I want to say thank you to those of you who brought toys those of you who uh, helped sort the toys and identify them and figure out what the point system would be. Many were helpful in setting up and there were shoppers yesterday to help the families. There were people doing gift wrapping, people who were praying. That We had some translators and we just had all kinds of stuff happening yesterday. And I wanna say thank you to all of you for your part in making sure that we could bring the hope of Christ and the love of Jesus to families in need during this Christmas. Thank you and God bless you for your efforts. Well, yeah, thank you to all who served. We begin today a four-week Christmas series called Prepare Him Room. That's the title of this, and you'll notice kind of the retro style of looking back at, at uh, inns and motels and kind of that uh, 50s and 60s kind of retro look to some of the design around this series. Prepare him room. That comes from the line, enjoy to the world, right? Let every heart prepare him room. We just sang that. 
And the idea being that, you know, there was that night no room for them, Luke 2 says, and that's why the baby was born in a, sta- in a stable and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, there was no room that night for him to stay and for his family to have a decent place for that baby to be born. Our hearts and our lives need to be ready to have room for the Lord. And we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks as we look at the stories of the nativity. And today we're going to start with uh, the first and earliest of the nativity stories found in Luke chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles or go on your mobile device to your Bible app, Luke chapter 1. And we'll see the story of Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth. They had prayed for about having a child for years. There had not been a child. Now they're up in years. And um, he gets this unexpected opportunity to serve inside the temple as a priest. There were 18,000 priests, we're told, historically at the time of Zechariah, the time just before Jesus was born. And uh, they all served around or helped with the temple, but by lot, a lot that would be cast, they would be chosen to actually go in the temple and serve inside. And he was chosen one day during the time when priests would go in for the offering of incense. And it was a symbol of God's prayers going up with the smoke of the incense. And so priests would go in and pray for the nation and pray for the coming Messiah to arrive. People outside would be praying. And as he's praying, an angel meets him and tells him that God has heard his prayers and that he's going to have a child. And he questions that. And so the angel says, because of your lack of belief, you're not going to be able to speak until a time comes when you have that child, nine months from now. But that child is going to be a special child set apart for God, and he is going to prepare the way. He's going to prepare the people of Israel for the Messiah. He's going to be the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. And they're told that they're to name this child John. Well, Zechariah can't speak. He goes home, and lo and behold, yes, his wife, even though they're up in years and they thought they were beyond the childbearing years, she's expecting a child. And uh, they go through that time of the pregnancy, and when the baby is born, uh, she names him John, and others are saying, well, that doesn't seem right. You don't have a name like that in your family. And so they look at Zechariah, who hasn't spoken in nine months, and he writes down on a tablet the name, yes, it's John, God's gift. And as soon as that happens... His mouth is open and he can speak and he celebrates and praises God. And John becomes the forerunner of the Messiah. We know him as John the Baptist. Now this uh, text of scripture from Luke 1, 5 through 22 is captured by the students and children of our creative art ministry known as Center Stage. And I want you, if you want to, you can follow along. The text will be read from verse 5 through verse 22. A few times it's the actual text. A few times it's a dramatization. But you can follow along in your Bibles as we watch this video of that scene. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. 
your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a child and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice in his birth. He is not to drink wine or other fermented drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. No. No, th no, this, this, this can't be happening. Th this has to be a dream. Okay, it's not a dream. But first of all, my wife and I, we're very old, very far in our years in life. And second of all, after all these years, finally now, we must bear a child. I refuse to believe. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have come here to tell you this good news. Now you will be unable to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will happen at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. He is the God of miracles. He is El Shaddai. Prepare him room. I love that uh, video that they put together. Helps us understand a little bit of the setting and the scene of what took place when Zechariah met that angel. Today, uh, we're looking in Luke chapter one, and we're gonna talk about making room for the unexpected. A lot of unexpected stuff happens in the life of Zechariah that day. A lot of stuff happened and began to unfold that was unexpected in the life of Israel. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for many years, perhaps decades, that they would have a child, and they never heard that prayer answered until that day. The nation of Israel had been waiting for over 400 years for the prophecy regarding Messiah who would redeem his people would come true. And so this is the beginning of the answer to some prayers that have been poured out for a long time. How do we make room in our hearts and minds for the unexpected work of God? We'll see today that in a world filled with disruptive ups and downs, we have to remain ready for the unexpected work of God. We have to prepare our hearts and minds to provide room for him to work in and through us. Some of you, as you've come in, probably have prayed over something for weeks or months, years, maybe decades. Maybe it's something related to your family or a health situation or finances, a burden in your life that you've been taking to God over and over again. And I wanna just encourage you to have your, your heart open and the space in your life ready for God to work in and through you how do we deal with the burdens of life where there doesn't seem to be an answer? How do we make room for the unexpected when there's been a pattern of seemingly no answer from God? Well, a couple of things here from the life of Zechariah. First of all, you keep praying. You keep praying, especially when you don't think God hears. 
Zechariah has an opportunity to go in and during a time when prayer was the focus in the temple and the incense went up as a, as a symbol of prayers going up to people outside praying, he gets to pray as the priest did every day at this time for the coming Messiah, for his arrival, for his soon return. And as, as he prays, he also is praying for his own family, his own life. The angel says to him in verse 13, your prayer has been heard. Keep praying, especially when you don't think God hears. Just because you haven't heard from him doesn't mean he didn't hear you. God hears the prayer of his children. So then what do we do when we keep praying, but there seems to be no answer to our prayer? What do we do? Well, here are three things you want to do that we see in the life of Zechariah and in this moment in his experience with the angel. Number one, keep asking. Keep asking Just keep going to God. Keep knocking on that door. Keep going to him in prayer. Keep casting your burden on him again and again, over and over again. Max Lucado says, you're never without hope because you're never without prayer. We pour our heart out to God. There's something God does in our hearts and our lives and even through us. Keep asking. Secondly, stay faithful. Sometimes people will say to me, well, I stopped praying a long time ago. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped leaning into worship. I stopped serving God. No, you stay faithful. I love this description of Zechariah uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth given in verse six. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They remained faithful even though they didn't know for certain that God heard the cry of their hearts. But the angel says, he did hear you. You have been heard. Stay faithful. I encourage you to keep praying. Read God's word. Hang out with God's people. Be here in worship. I know some aren't yet able to join us, so keep faithful in joining us online. If you're able to join us, lean in. Stay faithful to your God and to what he calls you to. Thirdly, not only do we keep asking and stay faithful, but we trust God. We take it and we trust him with it. We rest our care, our burden in him. Trust God. Sometimes we think if we can trust someone today, we can trust them tomorrow, and then we'll trust them the next day. With God, how we have a trust relationship with him is in the reverse, He says that we can come to him as the one who will provide the security and the promise for eternal destiny so that when we come to God through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us, what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection for us, we are given new life. We're forgiven of our sins and an eternal relationship with God. When we put our faith in Jesus, what he did for us, not what we think we can do for ourselves, we're given given this certainty of our eternal destiny. We trust God with our eternal destiny. And when that is settled, and we know that is in God's hands, then we can trust him daily. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus as your personal savior, do so today. I'd love to have a conversation about that with you. I'll be out on the patio. Uh, We have our care and prayer team members who come down after each service to pray with folks about any need. You can meet them here. If you're in the room and maybe you're not able to stay and talk to one of us or perhaps you're joining us online, let me encourage you just to text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll make sure you get some information that'll help you know what it means to know Christ, to trust him with your eternal destiny and know you have eternal life in him. 
And it'll then begin to help you understand how you walk with him and trust him with the ups and downs of life. We'll have somebody on our team follow up with that and just answer any questions you might have, celebrate with you that you've come to Jesus. But make sure you've trusted God with yourself and your whole eternal destiny because of what Jesus has done for you. And when you have that, then you begin to say, wait, he's got me forever. I can trust him with this financial thing. I can trust him with this family thing. I can trust him with this medical thing. I can rest in him. Trust God. You say, but what if there are no answers? You keep praying. You stay faithful. You trust God. I remember growing up in a home where we loved Jesus and, and uh, my Mom's parents were believers and knew Christ, and I grew up with parents who knew Jesus and walked with him, and we were in church regularly, and I began to understand the clarity of the gospel as a child and accepted Christ for myself and began to understand that my dad's parents, who I never saw go to church, I never saw them do much spiritually, but said they were Christians, that they I began to understand they really didn't know Jesus as their Savior. My parents knew that, and as Troy and I grew, we understood that, and we started praying. I remember praying for my parents every time I heard about the gospel, praying for my grandparents, I should say, every time I heard about the gospel, and throughout my childhood, my teen years, and you know, as I was getting older, of course, they were getting older, and I was just asking God and kept taking that to God and, and wanting God to work in the way in which I had hoped so they'd come to Jesus. I remember calling my dad in college and I just said, how are grandpa and grandma? And he says, they're doing great, but you, you won't believe this. And then he told me that someone had been in their home who was a believer and started sharing the gospel with them. And for the first time, when others had shared the gospel, and I even would take gospel tracts, you know, the, the track rack at churches where there were little pamphlets that tell people about how to accept Jesus. And I would put them on the dresser after staying overnight with grandma and grandpa. And I'd leave them on the washing machine or in the washing machine, different ones, so she'd find it, so she'd read about the gospel. But I, I remember talking to dad and he said, you wouldn't believe this. Someone shared with them the gospel and they even wouldn't take calls during this time and they accepted Christ as their savior. And then my, you could see the difference, the new life in them. They wanted to read the Bible, but their eyes were bad. So they started uh, just using uh, cassette tapes of the Bible. And my grandfather was a pretty sharp, pretty smart guy, a Notre Dame grad. And he started, he started asking me some very tough theological questions as he's listening to the Bible and some some passages that he was struggling with, but they started going to church, reading the Bible, praying. God changed their lives. They were 79 and 83 when they came to Jesus. Boy, that's something unexpected, and praise God for that, but I just want to encourage you. There are some things we pray about, and we pray about, and pray about, and sometimes we don't see some of those things in our lifetime, and God answers those prayers. As a pastor, I've prayed with folks about their children or their grandchildren, about this need or that need, and they go to be with Jesus, and as a pastor, I see God answer their prayer even beyond their lifetime. Keep praying, especially when you don't think God hears, but then you say, but, but then what do I do? Well, then you gotta be patient. Keep waiting. Keep waiting on God. Keep waiting, especially when you don't feel like God cares. Sometimes when we're waiting and God isn't working the way we want him to work, we then think he doesn't care about us. Just because you don't feel loved by him doesn't mean he isn't loving you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. You have to be patient. You have to wait upon him, letting him be God. Sometimes we want to rush on and try to solve things our way. Or we want things, we force stuff, and it makes it worse. There are times we have to take it to God in prayer and then wait on God. Being patient isn't easy. There's an old Dutch proverb that says, a handful of patience is worth more than a bushel of brains. 
I just knew Monday when I came across as I was studying this passage that Zechariah and Elizabeth and the nation of Israel had been waiting on God and being patient and and they would have to be patient for that baby to be born. All, I, I just knew that God was going to work on me regarding patience. I didn't know how he was going to work on me, but I knew it. I've been looking for a reliable car for us to have as a, uh, another car for our family to use, something eight or nine years old, just something reliable and simple. And I've been watching for a while. And uh, finally, I found what I, uh, I wanted and, and I went down in the valley to a dealership to get it. And, and you know, when you buy a car in California... We kill like 30 trees, right, with a car. There's so many things to sign, and you paper after paper, sign this and sign that, and you ask what it's for. It's just all these things, right? And you can sit there. It takes, you have to plan like an afternoon or an evening to just get through the paperwork. And so they got it all prepared. I started signing, you know, and I'm talking to the lady as I'm signing all this stuff, and, and we get to the, she says, here's the final page. Ah, oh, finally, okay. And she says, this is just, you gotta look at your address again, and this is where any recalls, there are no recalls so far on this car, but if there are any, this is where the recall will be sent. And I look, and I said, oh, this one, this last document, has my zip code wrong. And she said, oh, no. I said, why, oh, no? She said, because if it's wrong on that one, it's wrong on all of them. So she had to shred the documents, reprint them. We have to go through the whole thing all over again. I think, okay, I get in my car. I'm driving home. I'm going to come back the next day and pick it up and everything and bring the check. And I'm driving home, and, and I'm just starting to drive away. And I think, all right, Lord, this is, okay, lesson learned. I know I'm speaking on patience and waiting on you, God, this weekend. Got it. Don't need any more. So I come all the way home, and I'm getting off the freeway. I'm about to my house, and I get a call from the dealership and they say, oh, we misunderstood that you were going to bring a check. We put this for all this financing and so the whole contract is now kind of null and void. You need to come back tonight to get this straightened around. So I don't even get home. I turn around and go back. I, they've reprinted it. I re-sign everything and it's because I failed to say something to them. It wasn't just their problem so I couldn't just blame this on them and and I get back in the car, you know, a couple hours later, and I'm driving home, and I say, I got it now, Lord. I mean it. I need no other illustrations of being patient. We all know what it's like to grow in this area of patience. And sometimes when we know we think just what God should do, we, we struggle to wait to be patient. But as you wrestle with what you're taking to God over and over again in prayer, you got to keep waiting, even if you don't feel like God loves you in this moment because he's not doing what you think you need. You see, first of all, he's not limited by your calendar. you got to trust that he's going to take care of you. He's not limited by your calendar. Sometimes we think he's late, but when we look back weeks and months and years later, we say, wait a minute, okay, God, that really felt bad in that timing, but now I see your timing. I see what you were doing. He's not limited by your calendar. I like how Zechariah, when he pushes back on the idea that he and Elizabeth could have a child, he says in verse 18, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Isn't that kind of him? He calls himself old, but he doesn't apply that to his wife. I'm old, and you might know this, Mr. Angel, but uh, she's well along in years too. He says, this isn't working to our biological clock. But remember, God is not limited by your calendar or your watch. Whitney Nichols, the blogger, says, some of the best things God will do in your life will not be on your schedule. 
That's hard, but we've got to wait on God. Secondly, he's not limited by your circumstances. He's not limited by your circumstances. Zechariah pushes back in verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I mean, after all, all my circumstances say something else. But God is not limited by the same things that limit you. So you can wait on him and trust him. Thirdly, he's not limited by your concerns. He's not limited by your concerns. I like when Elizabeth recognizes that she's with a child. In verse 25 of Luke 1, she says, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She had this burden. She had this concern that she was carrying. And our God is not limited by our burdens or our concerns. He can work in unexpected ways beyond our calendar, beyond our circumstances, beyond our concerns. The psalmist expressed it this way in Psalm 27, 13 and 14 from the New Living Translation. I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Sometimes we think being brave and courageous is taking things into our own hands and rushing forward without God. But sometimes the most brave thing you can do, the most courageous thing you can do is wait on God. You see what he says? Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently on the Lord. Someone has said the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like when you're at the airport and you're there by the gate and they announce that the plane has got some maintenance problems and it needs to be worked on and people start complaining and then you think, you know what? It's better to be on the ground wishing I was in the sky rather than be in the sky wishing I was on the ground. It's like being, not being married and wishing you were than being married and wishing you weren't, right? Same thing here. It's better for us to wait on God than to rush forward and not wait on him. So keep praying, keep waiting, keep taking that burden to him. And then thirdly, keep hoping, keep hoping especially when you don't understand how God works. Keep hoping. Believe and trust in him. Rest your hope and confidence in him. Just because you can't figure out what he's doing doesn't mean he isn't doing something. All those years where Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying to God and staying faithful and trusting him, he was doing something. He was weaving something grand in terms of sending the Redeemer and the Messiah and their son would be used to prepare the way to make room in the nation of Israel for the reception of that Messiah. God had been doing something. He was working. And whether you know it or not, again, this is one of those things sometimes we look back after we see God working in an unexpected way where he answers our prayers in ways we never thought possible. We look back and we say, not only do I see your timing, but Lord, I see that you were working while I was praying, even though I couldn't see that. You see, just because you can't figure out what he's doing doesn't mean he isn't doing something already to answer your prayer, to meet you in your time of need. So then why does he allow us to go through these disruptions where we have this burden that we take to him, we go through this waiting experience? Well, he allows your life to be disrupted so you will rest your hope in him, not what he can do. When Zechariah 
is given the opportunity to say, yes, his name should be John. We read in verses 63 and 64 of Luke 1, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. First thing he does, after not being able to speak for nine months, he doesn't describe right away what the angel was like. He doesn't go through all that. He begins by praising God. You see, this disruption in his life and this unexpected way in which God is working in and through his life, it it draws him to this place where he understands his hope is in the Lord and not just in what God can do. What do I mean by that? A lot of us who know Christ, uh, unfortunately, have developed a relationship with God, a relationship of expectations where where we, we go to God and we hope in God based on what he can do. You can... X, you can do this, you have the power, you are able, this is what I want, this is what my expectation is, and I put my hope in you if you will do this. We put our hope in what he can do. But where we find peace and joy and we make room for God to really work in our lives is when we put our hope in him. That maybe his timing is different than ours, but it's perfect, and what he's doing is far greater than what I could ever ask him to do or the way I would want it done. So we trust in him because we trust his character. We trust his love for us. We trust that he wants the very best for us, that he is weaving something grand and glorious, not only in our lives, but in the world. So as you keep hoping, hoping not, don't just hope in what God can do like he's some genie who's gonna give you three wishes. Hope in who he is and trust him. Put your confidence in him that he knows what's best and he is working out the greater and better plan. I like how the psalmist says it in Psalm 39, 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Can I just encourage you this week as you take that prayer request, maybe you've been praying for weeks or months or years or decades, you take it to God. Right before you say, in Jesus' name, amen, simply say, my hope is in you. Not what you can do, but in you. Don't see him as some cosmic genie that you have access to, but see him as the creator and redeemer of your soul who loves you and wants what's best for you. Put your hope and trust in him, not just what he can do. Just conclude your prayers this week. Right before you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Say, my hope is in you, Lord, not just what you can do. And then that begins to spill out of our lives so that other people are affected. You see, yes, he allows your life to be disrupted so you arrest your hope in him, not what he can do, but he allows also your life to be disrupted so others will rest their hope in him, not what he can do. So that others will see he's not just some cosmic genie, but he is the God who wants to know them and walk with them and and bring about what's best for them. In verse 65, the reaction of the people who know him is described in Luke 1:65. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Now the people are beginning to get a good glimpse of God through Zechariah and his life. As he puts his hope in God, they begin to see that God is worthy of hope. And as we make room for the Lord to work in and through us in this Christmas season, even in unexpected ways, We keep praying, we keep waiting, and we keep hoping so that our children and our friends, our neighbors and others 
will begin to see that our hope is in our God. And they too will look to him, come to him, and find their hope in him as well. Let me ask you, are you ready for the unexpected work of God? What is it you've been praying for? Keep praying. What is it you've, been, you've just been waiting for? Keep waiting. What is, it, what is it you've been hoping in? Is it what God can do? Or are you hoping in who God is? Keep hoping in who he is, not just what he can do for you. I love how Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12 to deal with the difficulties of life. In Romans 12, 12, he says it simply. And look how it's these very three observations we've made from the life of Zechariah. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What a great summary of how we make room for the unexpected work of God in our lives. I mentioned to you that yesterday we had 138 families here who were ministered to and blessed by the Christmas shop. And there are hundreds and hundreds of families that will be ministered to through the shops we're connected with. But one mom who attends Calvary and is a part of our special abilities ministry and has a child with special abilities, she and her, uh, the other part of her family uh, yesterday served, but they were also people who could receive. And so for the first part of the morning, she served and helped with the Christmas shop, and then she became one of the recipients in the latter part of the morning. And she sent this communication to our special abilities and outreach ministries. She says, it was beautiful. Thank you for such a wonderful event. I was so touched by the generosity of so many in every area. It was so touching to hear the message from the pastor about the testimony of how messy lives can be, family lives can be, especially during the holidays. Just before the pastor spoke, some special needs moms were talking about how hard it has been being accepted in playgroups and school settings, our IEP meetings, our fears discouragements in our daily schedule, and then to hear the pastor speak right after with this message in heart about those same feelings. It was confirmed that God knows and sees all things, that he loves us and is still in all the details of our lives. I felt honored and deeply loved and overwhelmed with emotion. Then she says, the prayer portion of the event, the Christmas shop, was so important to me. In my mind, I envisioned an altar built by praying women and men standing in the gap for our special abilities families. So seeing the opportunity to be prayed for was my chance to come to the altar. Having the prayer request allowed me to leave any anxiety, fears, inadequacies of my daily life at the altar. It was sweet release. Thank you for everything you do in special abilities. Thank you for your beautiful hands and hearts in service. She came to serve, and as she received and as she served, she experienced the unexpected work of God in her own heart, in her own life. Continue to pray that many who are here in that Christmas shop and the other shops throughout our community over the next couple of weekends, that God will work in their lives in unexpected ways. How about you? What is it that you, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, have been taking to God year after year, year after year? Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep hoping in who your God is, not just what he can do. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we're so grateful that you sent Jesus. Father, thank you for the unexpected, amazing grace of the gift of your son to us. And in this Christmas season, may we make room in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our minds for the unexpected work you want to do in and through us. Father, in those areas where we keep 
carrying that burden to you in prayer. May we be faithful in doing that, casting that care on you time and time again. And then, Lord, give us the strength, the bravery, the courage to wait on you, to wait on you, not rush in and try to solve everything on our own. And, Father, may we find our hope in you, not just in what you can do for us, but in you. And, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to make room for the unexpected work that you want to do in our lives and through our lives in this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.